now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. Of course, it is a Monday post-spring break. Yes, we're back. Brent Clanton back in the saddle again uh, after his uh, trip to Tennessee. How was that inflation-adjusted trip? <laughs> We did it the cheap way. <laughs> we bought airfare. <laughs> here, here, now, this is how bad it's getting inflation was, right? What's cheaper, to drive to Tennessee or to fly? So it was like $500 in gas versus air tickets. Exactly. So, And the airfare was a fraction of that. Yeah. So this is, this is inflation at work. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome back to the show. Lots of stuff to get into today, of course, as we kind of you know get back after a week of, of being gone. We apologize. We did miss you last week, but uh, we're happy to be back. Of course, all I did was wind up working all week, so it really wasn't much of a spring break. <laughs> but it happens. You know, every time I try to take a couple of days off, right. something happens in the markets. Either the markets crash, but this was better. Last <laughs> week, the markets rallied like a scalded eight. Uh, we were up 6% for the week last week. That is a huge week in the markets. Think about this for a second. Put this into some perspective. If your annual goal is 6% return on your money, you got it all in one week. If you were smart enough to buy the bottom, right? So. But that's the whole point. That's how big of a week it was. It was a year's worth of returns for a lot of financial plans in one week. That's very abnormal, by the way. So that doesn't happen all the time. But just goes to show you just how depressed to the downside the markets were, you know, after this decline that we've had this year. And again, you know, it's not really that big of a thing, right? If you, if you take a look at headlines, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, markets are down. It's terrible. We, we're down about, you know, on the S&P, down about 10%, 11% for the year. Um, down a lot less than that now because of this rally. But, you know, it was a pretty much a normal correction. And this is what we had talked a lot about last year. When you have a year where there's virtually no volatility, in other words, markets, you know, stay within a 5% trading range for most of the year, people get very complacent. And we said that ultimately when we got a, a downturn, of size, you know, a 10% correction is going to feel a lot worse than it actually is. And that's actually been the case here. It's, it's just been a 10% decline. It's felt terrible, right? We've had a lot of people really just, you know, kind of, you know, you know, headline media, you know, markets in turmoil every day on CNBC. And, and emotionally, that's just very draining. But really, the markets haven't done a whole lot. It's been a very orderly decline. Um, now, that's at the surface. Below the surface, there's been a good bit of devastation and stocks you shouldn't have owned anyway. But that's a different, that's a different conversation, different show. Um, but we've had this very nice rally here because markets were very oversold. Sentiment was very negative. Positioning by uh, hedge fund managers, et cetera, very negative. And that's still the case. Even after this rally last week, sentiment still, it's improved. But it's still very negative. So there is fuel here for a, a, a continued rally. Now, we'll see what happens here. Um, currently, right now, though, the, you know, it's interesting. Markets did come off support last week and actually rallied all the way back above the 50-day moving average, which that's actually fairly bullish, right? I mean, we, we got through the 20-day moving average. We got through the 50-day moving average. Now, 
The not so good news is the 200 day moving average is sitting right on top of the market right now. So the markets are going to sell off a little bit this morning. Dow looks to be down about 100 points at the open. S&P will be down a little bit. But, you know, this is after a 6% rally last week. So not surprising you're going to get a little bit of a pullback here this morning. Just, you know, a little bit of profit taking after this run. But this 200 day moving average sitting right on top of the 50 day is important. And, and we wrote about this in this past weekend's newsletter is that that conjunction of moving averages provide a lot of resistance for the markets here short term. And importantly, markets are very overbought right now. So again, we have a very overbought market at resistance had a huge rally last week. A lot of this had to do also on Friday was quadruple witching. We had about $3 trillion worth of options that all expired at one time that all had to be repositioned. So a lot of this buying over the over last week was really kind of factored on two things. One, the Federal Reserve did exactly what we expected them to do, right? There was no surprise. Markets had pretty much already priced in the first few rate hikes anyway. So when the Fed came out on Wednesday and said, hey, 25 basis point hike, we're kind of watching things. You know, we're, we're going to keep hiking rates here because inflation's high, but we're paying attention to stuff. That gave the market some relief because simply they just kind of held to what was already expected. There was no surprises. So again, that gave the market some initial lift. And then on Thursday and Friday, we had a lot of repositioning. Of course, there's been a lot of shorts in the markets over the last couple of months. All those had to be redone. A lot of short covering because of that. And we saw a very sharp short covering rally on Thursday and Friday in particular. And Friday was, was notable because where you saw the, the most action ups on the upsides, we saw stocks that have been beaten down drastically uh, over the course of the last year. They were up 15, 20% in a day. And this was that short covering in, in action when that happened. So again, you saw a lot of short covering over these uh, last couple of days. So again, a lot of that now behind us. So now moving forward here over the next couple of weeks, it's gonna be a bit more challenging for markets because we're through earnings season. We're not going to have that for another month or so for earnings to start coming back in. Um, we're also in corporate share buyback blackout period, right? So corporate, uh, corporate share buybacks can occur right now. So we've got a blackout period on buybacks. That's also kind of removing a little bit of support for the market. So over the next few couple of weeks, as we wrap up March and get into to early April, we don't really have a lot of catalyst here to drive stocks. So we may kind of meander around here a bit. But again, there is there is, you know, the ability for the markets to move higher here. A couple of things need to happen. One, we need to get above the 200 day moving average, but we need a little bit of good news. Um, something to resolve itself in the Russia Ukraine conflict, um, you know, maybe, a, a, you know, a, a decline in some inflationary pressures, uh, oil prices pull back here a bit, something. If we can get some good news, there's still enough negative sentiment on the markets in general and enough negative positioning that with a bit of good news here, we could potentially see a bit more of a rally as we go into March and April. That would not certainly not be surprising. We've had two very negative months and a, a three months in a row are pretty rare to occur in market history anyway. So it's not, it's not unlikely that we'll have a positive return for the month of March. If we get some good news here, any type of relief at all that get the kind of bulls kind of get excited here, particularly on the professional side, that could lead to a further advance and, and, and getting back up to around 4,700 on the S&P is not is not out of the question. And that doesn't really change the tenor or tone of the markets very much. It doesn't mean that if we can get up towards 4,700 
in the S&P that that puts all the risk behind us and we're back in a bull market. Uh, for that to occur, we'd actually need a breakout to all-time highs in order to say that this correction period is over. If we anywhere from the previous high in January to the previous lows that we saw in February, anywhere within that range is simply just a trading range. We haven't changed the dynamic tenor or tone of the markets in any stretch whatsoever. All we're doing is just trading within a range. So there is potential upside here that doesn't change the dynamics to risk in terms of your portfolio. In fact, from here to any level higher, I would be using that rally to, again, rebalance risk, reduce you know uh, positions in your portfolio that haven't been performing kind of go through the process in this weekend's newsletter and this is something that we're going to talk about more over the over the next few weeks um if we talk we kind of laid out the guidelines for rebalancing your portfolio actions to take what you know kind of what to do to make sure that your portfolio is healthy that's in the newsletter this weekend so if you get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com click on the newsletter link and scroll down towards the portfolio update. We kind of go through these rules, kind of these guidelines to follow. But when we come back, I'm gonna talk about a specific issue about cash, is it really trash, and the way you need to be thinking about cash when it comes to investing. Be right back after the break on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Hey! Hang on, I may sneeze here. All of a sudden, I was fine, and all of a sudden, yeah. my nose started... Itching. It's that yellow stuff on the cars. I know. I tell you. Well, not this morning because it's raining everywhere. Thank goodness. Well, I don't know if you heard this, the the news, right? So we have severe weather heading towards Houston, Texas. Oh yeah. Today. Yeah. In fact, there's a 10% chance of tornadoes along the I-10, I-45 corridors. So. I-10, I-45 quadrant. Well, no, the, along the I-10 corridor. Yeah. And on the I-45 corridor. On both, both of them. Both of them, yes. Oh, fun. So, yes. So <laughs> if you're heading west or north, watch out for tornadoes. <laughs> do, you, do you realize? And if you don't like Texas, hang <laughs> around the minute you know, the weather will change. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, when the wind blows hard around here, this building sways. Yes. I've seen it. Yes. All high-rises sway. But this is... <laughs> This is very noticeable. Gotcha. So this particular building is not very well put together. The, so. the, the pendant lamps out in the next room uh-huh. do like this. <laughs> so it's like a grandfather clock out there. Of course. You know, th- this is now this is Brent this morning doing radio going. Pendants <laughs> do this. Nobody can see you. <laughs> well, but I painted a picture. Gotcha. Okay. You have to say they're swaying left and right. Yes. That's, you know, you get rapidly. They're doing this, but you can't see me. It's okay. 
Anyway, we have work to do this yes. morning. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, is cash trash? This is, um, I got an email last week and uh, Ray Dalio has been on this stick for a while about, you know, it's cash trash. This is the his, his thing, right? Cash is trash. We got to be careful with this because he's been doing the cash is trash routine since about 2014. And pretty much every time that he says cash is trash, it's really a good time to go buy stocks because <laughs> it is, is uh, you know, it's not, it's not worked out well uh, for that. So, it, you know, this is this is kind of one of the interesting things, though. You know, I, I get a lot of emails here lately, and, and it was worth writing an article on this because I have been getting so many emails talking about, well, you know, with interest rates so low and inflation now raging, you know, you know, you know, I've got to invest in something, right? Because I'm just, you know, the, you know, inflation's eating up all my savings. And the problem here is, and, and again, you know, if you take a look at inflation, you know, it's certainly spiking here. And in fact, we've got the highest inflation level since the 1970s. And, you know, that's something that, you know, is, is certainly concerning for individuals. Because, again, this is something that a lot of people in the markets haven't ever seen. Now, you know, Brent and I, we talk about, you know, our memories of growing up, you know, during that time frame. And <laughs> my dad had this old 1969 Dodge pickup truck, you know, and it had the, the three column shifter, you know, on the column. And had it had rubber. The, the entire bottom of the truck was just, you know, rubber. <laughs> And the interior was all vinyl. In fact, when we washed the truck on the weekends, because my dad had to wash vehicles every weekend, we just open up the doors and just wash out the inside of the truck because there was nothing. To, there was nothing to ruin, right? I mean, it was just it was <laughs> it was waterproof inside and out. But when gas prices got so high, he put a propane tank in the back of the truck and convert. And we saw a lot of this back then. It was like you know, it's just a rolling bomb at the point. But you know, nobody. This was how people were fighting you know, high gas prices back in the late 70s. And, and, and yes, we have high gas prices now, but things are very different today than they were back in the 1970s. Inflation is different today than it was back in the 1970s. And something we'll talk about in the next segment is why we have inflation now, what caused it, and, and why it will go away. This isn't the 70s. And, yes, we do have high inflation, but this isn't the inflation of the 70s. It's very different in terms of how we got here and, and what the outcomes will be. But, you know, what, what is important is that savers, and if you take a look at this chart that I've got up here, savers don't have a choice, right? And when you take a look at inflation-adjusted savings, they're obviously deeply negative. And this is the concern that people have. They go, well, you know, I just, you know, I've got money in the bank. I'm just losing all this, this value. And that's true based upon, upon the need that you have for that cash. Now, here's where this becomes very important when you're talking about cash and the return on capital. If I have a bunch of cash, so, for instance, the way my wife and I work, and we'll just talk about kind of how we manage our household. We have a joint account, and then we each have our individual accounts. We both contribute money to our joint account every month. And 
that money is to pay for food, mortgages, insurance, car notes, etc. Then we have our investment accounts, savings accounts, and other stuff outside of that. So all that money that gets dumped into the joint account to pay bills with, that has a very specific purpose. And that purpose is impacted by inflation because the capital that we put there has to pay for a higher cost of living, right? So it has to pay for $4 a gallon gas or it has to pay for higher food prices. And so it requires more contributions this month than last month because of inflation. But that is not the case when it comes to investing cash. Now, this is the important, this is the important thing to, to think about. What we're talking about when it comes to inflation is what we call purchasing power parity. And is the dollar that I have today, does it have the exact same amount of purchasing power a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, right? That's, that's the important about having inflation adjustment. So, yes, if I have money sitting into a bank account right now that is specifically being used for the purchase of food, gas, groceries, those type of things, yes, you are losing money to inflation because the purchasing power of that dollar last month and the month before is less than it is currently. We have lost value on our currency. But that is not the case when it comes to investing cash. And this is something that we've got to remember. It's about the use of cash. What am I using purchasing what are, what am I losing purchasing power parity wise? on cash that is solely set up for the purposes of investing. Over the last three months, my purchasing power parity has gotten better, not worse. Because the value of asset prices have gone down. I've had deflation in asset prices which means that the investing dollars that I have sitting in my investment account have become more powerful, not less powerful, because of the deflation in asset prices. In other words, I can buy more shares of stock today than I could in January. It's a little different mindset to think about things this way, but Again, this is important because the whole purpose of investing is to buy things that are cheap because they will appreciate over time and will outpace inflation if I do it right. So that when I do eventually convert those investing dollars into living dollars, they will have adjusted for purchasing power parity. But this is the important distinction to make. Just because I'm holding cash in an investment account doesn't mean I'm necessarily losing money. I'm losing money if asset prices are inflating and I'm not investing. I'm super negative on the, on the, on the world and I'm super negative on inflation and therefore I'm just not going to invest because everything's going to hell in a handbasket 
but yet stock prices rallied 6% last week. Markets don't necessarily align with your viewpoints on the end of the world scenario. Markets tend to adjust for these things fairly quickly. It's okay to have these ideas and these thoughts. Just make sure that they don't affect your investing strategy emotionally because if you miss the opportunity to put cash to work at depressed prices, then you miss out on the inflation adjustment that occurs following that cycle. And you have impaired your ability to have purchasing power parity in the future. And remember, that's what our investing dollars are there for. There are savings. You know, if we go back to that, that chart I had up a few minutes ago talking about savers given no choice, you know, this is, the, this is the important thing to remember is that the dollars today that I have in my savings or investing account, I'm not using today for living. They have a deeply negative inflation adjustment, but 20 years from now could be a very different story. But my job is over the next 20 years to make sure that these savings that I have in my investment account do grow at a rate faster than inflation so that when I do convert them ultimately from investing dollars to living dollars, I have made that inflation adjustment. But the thing to get your head around is that Worrying about inflation today on your living dollars has really nothing to do with your investment dollars. Those dollars have a better purchasing power today than they did just two months ago. Be right back after the break. We're going to talk about how we got inflation now and why some of the ideas coming out of Washington are just about as stupid as they come. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com there's a war being waged on your retirement dollars and unless you act now you'll lose the battle with inflation higher taxes and a lower standard of living you can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement april 2nd at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will help you fortify your life savings make the most of social security and lower your taxes Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton joining me. My wife and I this weekend... Uh, watched uh, Midway. Oh yeah, yeah, great movie. By the way, if you if you if you're any kind of a, a war history buff, whatever, it's a great movie. But you know, I was watching this movie, and you know, these young men are are going out. You know, this is Pearl Harbor right after the invasion of Pearl Harbor, and they're going to attack Midway. And the things that these guys do, you know, just certain death 
every time they launch off the aircraft carrier to go run these bombing missions and, and fighter missions, at certain depth, they just keep getting back into planes and, and keep going, right? And I was thinking about this. It's like, if we ever get into a real, you know, they're talking about Zelensky's like, oh, if we don't get negotiations over World War III, we're screwed. Because <laughs> I was going, you know, if you go on social media and kind of look, you know, all of our kind of 20-somethings, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, beards and dead bods and haven't done a push-up and been in a competitive sport since ever. <laughs> It's a very different breed than what was fighting in World War II. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about the greatest generation and why the 50s. Is, and I actually have a point about this. Uh, the, the 60s and the 70s, you know, we, we talked about, you know, how strong the economy was at that time. And that was really a big function of, you know, these guys came back after World War II. And they were having kids and building houses. And it was all blue-collar work. I mean, these, you know, they were building stuff. We were manufacturing. We were, well, we were the the manufacturing epicenter of the entire world i mean europe had been completely bombed out japan had been bombed out germany was you know decimated you know there there was no global manufacturing supply chain if you wanted something pretty much it was getting built in the u.s and this goes a lot to the inflation story that we were just talking about a minute ago and why the 70s were so very different in terms of inflation because it was a manufacturing driven inflation that that we had strong economic growth. Yes, interest rates were going up, but we also had those rates were going up because economic growth was running at 8 and 9% because of the manufacturing input base into the economy. Wages were strong. Savings were high. And we had a couple of negative knockoff effects, oil embargo, and uh, that, that caused oil prices to spike. But ultimately, the inflation then very different than it was today. And it's interesting because CNN wrote an article. Uh, A guy's name is Mark Wolf. And, you know, the problem with people that haven't lived through the 70s, didn't grow up in the 70s, you know, didn't drink out of a garden hose, that type of thing. They don't really understand costs and consequences of things that we do. And we've all gotten ourselves trapped into this idea that oh, we just need to do, you know, the government needs to do more to help people. Ronald Reagan once said, beware of anybody that comes to your door and says, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You know, well, let me just read to you what he wrote here. This is just a clip from his article. The fastest, most effective way to protect vulnerable citizens from the impacts of global economic instability, he's talking specifically about inflation, is to provide a direct payment through the IRS, similar to the three checks that were sent to families during the height of the pandemic. So here we go again. Let's go back to modern monetary theory, which has already been proven failed as a policy. Let's do what we did before because when we gave people money everybody seemed to be okay now there's this raging inflation well hold on a second the raging inflation that we have currently is simply the payment for the those checks that you got previously you thought you were going to get free money and didn't have to pay it back this is the payback all you're doing is paying back all of that free money that you got. You thought that was going to be tax-free money. Remember, we said, hey, there's nothing that's free in this world. There is no free lunch. 
And so, yes, the government was happy to give you $1,400 checks twice, a $900 check, unemployment benefits, and all this free money. It was great, right? We went out, we bought cars and trucks and houses and all kinds of stuff, right? Because we had all this extra cash that came from the government that was free. It wasn't free. What is happening now economically is simply the payment or the repayment, I should say, for that free money. It's the consequence of when you inject a lot of capital into an economy and particularly at the same time that you shut down production so that you create a shortage of supplies. We, we wrote about recently on our website, we wrote an article talking about this very thing, you know, this very thing. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. The only person that can create inflation is the government by printing more money, putting more capital, more monetary supply into the economy, sending you free checks, creates inflation. So you're not going to solve the economic instability problem by repeating the steps that got you into the problem to begin with. If you want to continue to have high rates of inflation, and if you like the inflation that we have now, then yes, by all means, let's print more checks and send it to households. But we said this very thing, right? And I wrote articles about this at the time. Lots of headlines were out that... Joe Biden's policy is going to lift 40% of Americans out of poverty. And we said, yeah, no, they won't. It will for about 12 months. And then inflation will put them right back into poverty again. And this is even assuming that you just do 2000 Look, let's just assume that we do $2,000 a month every month for every household in America. All you have to do is the math. We're going to give everybody $2,000 extra a month to spend free of charge. Year one, it's great. Year two, inflation comes because why? Brent over here provides child care services. And so we're going to provide some extra child care benefits to every American so they can afford to put their children into child care. What do you think Brent does? Does Brent sit around and go, I think I'll keep my prices the same, even though everybody's getting more money to pay for childcare. That's not the way, <laughs> that's not the way economics works. Brent says, being a smart entrepreneurial businessman, says, well, if everybody's getting an extra $2,000 a month for childcare, my rates are going up. Did we not learn this from college tuition? Prior to 2008, if you, wanted to, if you wanted a college loan, you had to go to a bank and you had to qualify for it. And college tuition had been pretty much range-bound. It adjusted for inflation over time. But up to 2008, college tuition was really pretty affordable. And then the government steps in and says, we're going to take over all the student loans and make sure that everybody that wants a student loan can get one, regardless of whether or not you can qualify for it. And we immediately added $500 billion worth of student loan debt into the economy. And colleges went, excuse me, 
you're giving out free money for college now. Tuitions are going up. And they did a lot. Surprise. That's kind of the way the money works. So if I'm giving everybody $2,000 a month, inflation goes up, and the next year, guess what? Everybody's right back into poverty because the cost of living has now risen to absorb that twenty-four grand extra a year. I have no more money than I had the, the year before that, and I'm right back into poverty. And I keep doing the $2,000 a month, and inflation keeps going up, but they're not increasing my $2,000 a month, so now I'm getting further and further behind the curve. It's just the way money works. And so here we go again. As soon as there's a little bit of trouble economically, the first go-to measure by the government is to send you more money. Why? Because it gets votes. How do you think you wound up with the current president? <laughs> Don't like the results, but you like the free money. It's not free. And the more you keep doing this, the worse that it's ultimately going to get until you figure it out. Modern monetary theory is near, neither modern nor monetary nor a theory. It is just an excuse to send more money into the system to push people towards socialism. The consequences of which are a lower quality standard of living for everyone. Except if you're in the rich and the elite, of course which is what socialism favors. But this is the important thing. And again, it's just, you know, when you talk about this, you know, the, these people that are writing articles and providing information out to the general masses. And look, the general person doesn't understand this. They just go, yeah, I, I, I'm having trouble making ends meet right now because gas prices are so high. So, yes, send me more money. They don't realize that the very thing they're asking for is exactly why you have inflation running at, well, over 8% now. It'll be 10% probably by the next month. But this is the problem of not teaching people the basics of economics, the basics of math, the basics of financial planning and instruction in, in junior high school, high school, college, you wind up with poor policy. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Real Investment advice.com the real investment show
And welcome back to the show. Of course, it is uh, 645 on this Monday edition as we, uh, hard to believe, already getting ready to wrap up the month of March. I mean, I don't know where the months are going to. <laughs> the older we get, the faster it goes. I, I'm, I'm man. telling you, man, it's just, it is just, it is just that way. Good news, though, is Senate, uh, the Congress did pass a bill, apparently, to eliminate daylight savings time. Or actually eliminate the change. The change. We're going to keep it. Yeah, we're yeah. That's year correct. round. Yeah, we're not falling back right. anymore, right? right? We're just going to. Has this actually been officially passed now? Well, I think it's got to go through the House. Okay, so the Senate passed the bill, but yeah. not the House yet. Right, right. Well, and it won't take effect until 2024. Why? Yeah. Do it now. Well, because farmers have to adjust their. Cl- I don't know. Chickens I mean, have to adjust their laying schedule. I, I don't know. <laughs> Stupid. Well, I had a reason when they used to do it. and you Well, know, we've outlived that reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, it gave farmers more daylight to work when they were harvesting and planting. And This may be the only beneficial piece of legislation <laughs> to come out of the Congress this year. <laughs> this is true. So just be basically be one more year of fall back, fall forward, <laughs> and then, then we'll be done with it finally. So, Hallelujah. <laughs> well, all it means is that you permanently lose an hour of sleep. Yeah, but you, you adjust to it. So once the, the clock changes right out of the way. All I'm saying is government's taking something else away yeah. from you. It's sneaky. They're coming to get another hour from you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, it'll be interesting. It'll probably get killed in the House for some reason because in order to pass the daylight savings time, they'll need to attach a spending bill to exactly. it. Exactly. So That's what will happen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, that's you know, what happened with this. I don't know if you saw this, but we just recently passed this funding bill to keep the Congress from or the government from shutting down. Right. Because mm-hmm. we, we don't pass budgets anymore. We just keep passing continuing resolutions. So we keep spending more and more. Um, there were like 900 earmarks. Oh, my goodness. In that bill. Yeah. Of just wasteful spending mm-hmm. i mean you know and this is the whole thing is like we, we pass these bills are like well 1.5 trillion a trillion dollars is a lot of money but you know we just kind of pass these things and then of course everybody's just in order well if you want me to pass it you got to stick this in and stick this in and stick this in and then nobody reads this stuff because we wait to the last minute to pass it and so we pass these bills and we keep wondering why we're 30 trillion in debt and here you go. The really galling thing about all that is Congress gets another raise every time yeah, they do that. Every time they do it. 8% annual bumps. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good job if you can get it. They figured that out. <laughs> there was an article over the weekend that says, another one of these stupid articles on inflation that people write. If you make less, it was a Bloomberg article nonetheless. If you make less than $300,000 a year, inflation is hurting you. And I'm supposed to feel good about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the base of the story was if you make more than $300,000 a year, yeah, you're probably doing all right, right? I mean, even with inflation, your lifestyle doesn't change much. Hey, I get it, right? It, it, I get it. If you make about, I haven't checked my numbers lately, but the last time I checked, if you're making between $150,000 and $200,000 a year, which is well below the $300,000 mark, you're in the top, you know, 5% of income earners in the in the country. So pretty much everybody's getting screwed by inflation is the bottom line. 
But you know, when you when you title it, yeah, if you make less than three hundred thousand, just kind of angers people. Um, that ought to drive subscription rates way up on Bloomberg. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's just ter- they're they're terrible pieces of analysis. It's like that CNN article we just went over. Oh yeah, it's just terrible analysis, and and it's like. Seriously, I mean, you're if you're a journalist and you're writing this stuff, go talk to an economist, right? I mean, at least talk to somebody who might be able to give you some reasonable guidance about how supply and demand works. Well, what galls me is they're not even written well. No. <laughs> you know that more and more articles are now being written by robots. You can tell. You can tell. Artificial intelligence is taking over everything. And look, nobody reads anyway, so... You know, pretty much everybody reads headlines is like, oh, yeah, inflation, 300,000. Yeah, you know, eat the rich. They never, they don't actually read the articles. I'm probably the only guy that actually reads articles anymore. But That's because you still write them yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to quit writing articles. Nobody reads them. I'm, I'm going to start writing. You know, everything's just, I'm going to change my whole blog to just tweets. <laughs> It'll be just a headline and two sentences and a picture. <laughs> and then maybe... We'll get something across. Uh, anyway, um, you know, just kind of wrapping up here, you know, a couple things just to pay attention to this week. Again, we're, we're past earnings season. Uh, corporate share buyback, buybacks are now blacked out. The Federal Reserve, of course, is going to be talking more about hiking rates. Now, over the course of the next set of meetings, every meeting this year it is expected that the Fed will hike rates. And right now, there's an expectation that, that there's about a 50-50 chance the Fed could hike by 50 basis points at their upcoming meeting, at the next meeting. The, the key here is going to be not surprising the markets. And we've talked about this before. It's, and, and the biggest risk for the Fed is not inflation. The biggest risk for the Fed is financial instability. And that's where they hike rates to a point that something breaks and they cause a credit problem in the United States. Now, where could that show up? The number of people taking out home equity loans is surging, right? Last time we saw the rate of people taking out home equity loans was in 2006, 7, and early 2008, right, leading up to the housing bust. You know, home prices right now are scorching hot. There was a showing a house over the weekend. There was a house showing and there was a line of people down the block waiting to take a tour of the house. Right. People are just trying to find some place to live. That's the way they make it sound anyway. Right. But it's just because we gave people a lot of money and they're like going, oh, I got free money. I'm going to buy a house with it. And of course, you know, the price of the house has gone up dramatically. So their purchasing value is going down. But we're seeing a lot of these anecdotal effects of the wealth effect that was created by just really over a decade of monetary interventions. But it kind of went off the hook in 2020 when the Fed started doing $120 billion a month in QE. They started um, you know, buying junk bonds through ETFs, et cetera. We just had this almost vertical jump in wealth or the wealth measure what we called household wealth just went almost vertical the interesting thing about that though is is that is only confined 
to the top 10% of income earners that own about 90% of the stock market. If you take a look at what's going on with housing as a, as a good example, yes, housing sales are off the hook. But a lot of those housing sales are people buying houses for investment property, rentals. This is taking inventory off of market. It's driving prices up. People are extracting out, extracting out equity to go buy more houses, that type of thing. This eventually all ends very badly, of course, and as, as it always will. We, and when we're in the midst of it, we go, well, this is never going to end. This is awesome, right? It'll eventually end. And it always ends generally in the worst possible way, right? It's an unexpected, exogenous event that triggers financial instability. And then, of course, you know, my favorite thing is, is the, you know, every year, the Federal Reserve has these stress tests for our major banks. And they go, well, we went and we tested all the banks. And we made sure that they could withstand an economic downturn, a recession, a 50% fall in the stock market, and 10% unemployment. But yet, whenever we have that, the first thing we have to do is go bail out all the banks. Because they don't want to take losses on their bad bets. And they're making bad bets once again. But this is just a cycle that we live in, right? And we just kind of go through the cycle over and over again. And, and we're now at that point to where we are beginning the process of creating the next wave of financial instability because the Fed is doing exactly what they always do, which is they create the problem and then they're going to fix it by hiking rates and reducing monetary liquidity, which is how we created the problem to begin with. So if the problem is created by low interest rates and financial liquidity, do the math. What happens when you reverse those inputs? <laughs> when my son was growing up, he had a fascination for anything electrical, right? Um, he would plug, he loved plugging in the vacuum cleaner to see the vacuum cleaner turn on, right? Just, just, just making that mental connection. Why he's going to be an engineer. <laughs> so when he was growing up, we had these uh, windows in our house that had those metal panes in the middle of the, the window. And so he had one arm and he was leaning up against the, the, the metal pane, plugging in the vacuum cleaner. And made a connection. <laughs> Lesson learned. Don't do that anymore. Problem is, is we don't learn those lessons. And we keep doing the same thing over and over again. So as we move forward over the course of this year and, and early into next year, the risk of a recession is definitely on the rise. And the thing to watch for is not when the Fed is hiking rates. It is when the Fed begins to talk about dropping rates or make an emergency move to drop rates that is generally when financial instability has already occurred so paying attention to risk over the next few months is going to be very important get by the website we'll talk more about this and a lot of other stuff of course on our website now the article out today is cash trash on the website now and the eight reasons to hold cash in a, in a portfolio it's on the website now realinvestmentadvice.com about three minutes of markets and money up here shortly and our daily commentary coming out towards you realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.